Hello and welcome to a Carrot and Soup podcast. Today we're interviewing Dr. Amy Maul about her neuroscience integrated approach to acupuncture. If you would like to learn more about the Carrick Institute and its postgraduate programs, please visit carrickinstitute.com. Hello, this is uh, Dr. Freddie Garcia, and today we have a podcast interview with uh, soon-to-be Dr. Amy Maul. Amy, are you there? I am. Hello. Excellent. Awesome. Great. Hey, listen, so we're excited to have you on. Uh, You are the first acupuncturist I've ever had on here, and I'll I'll be honest with you. I don't know that much about acupuncture, so I I feel like I'm going to learn a great deal, and uh, I think people are also going to be kind of interested to hear about your spin and what you're doing with acupuncture that you've told me a little bit about in our previous discussion. So I'm excited uh, to have you on the show. So thank you very much for coming on. Thank you. I'm honored. Awesome. So Amy, hey, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, some people may know you because you've been around uh, with the Kerrigan for a little bit. And uh, I remember meeting you at the International Symposium uh, on Clinical Neuroscience uh, just almost about a year ago, actually. Um, so yeah, I know and then some again people, in Atlanta for the physical exam. That's right. That's right. That's what happens once you start studying with the Carrick <laughs> Institute. You, you kind of it's like jumping down the rabbit hole, right? You can't look at anything the same ever again. <laughs> but uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. A little bit about your background, education. Uh, what can you share with us? Yeah. Well, so acupuncture is a little different from chiropractic in the sense that uh, the the entry level degree is actually a master's degree. So. I got my master's degree at Northwestern Health Sciences University up in Minnesota, which also has the chiropractic college there. So I actually went to school alongside a lot of chiropractors, and I've been going to a chiropractor since I was 13 years old. So I I love chiropractic, and I've always had that in my life in one form or another. So I've been in practice now for 11 years, and I decided to go back to school to get my doctorate degree in acupuncture and oriental medicine, ultimately so that I could get into research. And I ended up switching tracks in my career. I used to specialize in fertility and then uh, through a long journey decided to change focus and specialize more in concussion recovery and neurological disorders, which led me to decide to go back to school and then also led me to the Carrick Institute and the the courses there. Awesome. So uh, you mentioned concussions there, right? Which is something that the uh, functional neurologist is a topic near and dear to the heart because we, we're, we're working really hard to help that specific patient population. Uh, for those who haven't met uh, Amy yet, she is uh, quite an athlete herself. And uh, you look like that person who could probably dole out a couple of concussions if, if somebody ever challenged you, is what I would say. But uh, you, you have some athletic endeavors. And I think you kind of went through a little journey yourself. Would you mind sharing about that with us? Yeah, I I think I'm a really good example because I've never been officially diagnosed with a concussion and I've had a lot of injuries to like physical injuries to my body and yet none of the therapists or healthcare providers I I ever went to ever asked me about a history of head trauma or history of concussions and looking back on my my timeline of all of my concussions and then all my other injuries it's apparent to me now that I wasn't healing from my physical injuries for a big part because my brain wasn't working right from all my concussions. And so I feel like I'm a really good example of somebody who really slipped through the cracks of getting proper care at the time. And that's really what fuels my mission now to provide that kind of high quality care. 
So my first concussion was at the age of 17, and it was at a martial arts tournament. I got kicked in the head by a woman with a very large thigh. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I hate getting kicked in the head, so yeah, that's the worst. <laughs> and uh, next thing I knew, I was, I was on the ground, and so I probably blacked out for maybe, you know, one to three seconds. It wasn't any long length of time, but I woke, you know, I, I came to and I was on the ground and I had an instant headache and nausea. And that was, I think, on a Friday or Saturday. And, and immediately first thing Monday morning, I called up my chiropractor and got in. And, and so I never had any residual symptoms from that first one other than my hearing was never the same. Whenever I would get into a room where there was a lot of background noise, like a restaurant, I had a really hard time hearing the people that were sitting right in front of me. Hmm. So... I, and again, I never really put the two those two together until much later. And then my second concussion was when I was 24, and it was uh, I was learning how to wakeboard. And I just remember, uh, you know, hitting the water face first and becoming really dizzy and nauseous afterward, and just feeling a lot of brain fog. Um, and and again, these were what I would maybe call mild concussions that never really were officially diagnosed. But looking back on it and knowing what I know now, I could say, all right, you know. These were, these were concussions. I had my brain rattled around pretty hard in my head. And so they didn't really affect me until um, I think when I was 30, I had two concussions that were 10 days apart. Uh, one, I was mountain biking with a bunch of friends that were, um, they were basically prepping for a race they were going to do. And this was like an 18 mile downhill race. So I'm with my friends and we are screaming down this mountain, you know, at Mach 10 on mountain bikes. And towards the very end, the my bike just completely slid out from underneath me, and I crashed really hard. Wow. And again, even though I had a helmet on, you know, your your brain still gets rattled around if you're going, you know, 40 miles an hour down the mountain on a bike, and then suddenly you hit the ground. <laughs> so, um, ten days after that, I went on vacation and decided to learn how to wake skate, uh, which is basically where I was being towed behind a jet ski on a, a basically a, something that looks like a skateboard without wheels on it. So you're not even strapped in. And so basically I'm, um, you know, skateboarding on the water behind a jet ski on vacation. And I must have, again, crashed and, and planted face first into the water numerous times. And yes. that was so. I, so let me let me guess. Golf isn't in your repertoire. Only action, <laughs> extreme sports is what I'm hearing with you, huh? Um, pretty much, yes. Yeah. Snowboarding, uh, mountain biking, you know, water skiing, uh, skateboarding. <laughs> so, all right. So you had you had these concussions, and uh, what were the symptoms you were experiencing? What were you kind of uh, going through? You know, finally after that experience, I remember flying home and. For about a month, I had a really hard time with speech. I had a hard time putting thoughts into words, and I felt like my brain was moving in slow motion to the point where I would say, okay, somebody just asked me a question. I have to think of an answer. Okay, now I have the answer. Now I have to speak that out loud. And so everything felt really slowed down. And that was really difficult when you're trying to treat patients all day long. And then I also developed horrible insomnia to the point where I think there was two months where I just did not sleep. I would go to bed at night and toss and turn until I started to hear the birds sing in the morning. And I would just want to cry because I was like, the birds are singing, it's morning, and I never fell asleep. It was, mm. it was rough. Um, the other thing I noticed was that 
I was somebody that used to be able to read a book for eight hours a day. And especially whenever I would travel, I always loved being on airplanes because I'd, I'd have, you know, three hours where nobody would bother me and I could get a bunch of reading done. And after all these concussions, I would get on an airplane. And as soon as they pressurized that cabin and that oxygen dropped, you know, two, three, four percent, I, I would just pass out. I couldn't get through a paragraph. I, my brain just was so foggy and not functioning properly. So those were a lot of the issues that I was dealing with. A lot of brain fog, cognitive fatigue. I think probably some ADD <laughs> came in there as well. And on top of all that, I was doing martial arts. So I was getting punched in the face repeatedly during sparring practice. So I'm, I'm that perfect example of somebody that has probably had you know, half a dozen concussions, and then on top of that, a lot of repetitive subconcussive head trauma, and developed a lot of uh, immunoexcitotoxicity and subsequent brain fog and and other symptoms. All right, so so this kind of illustrates to to me and everybody at home how you kind of ended up getting deeper into the clinical neurosciences. But before we even go deeper into neurology, which is obviously what we love to talk about, I gotta I gotta hear a little bit more about acupuncture because, like I said, I don't know that much about it. So if, sure. if, if, if a potential patient walked up to you and said, hey, I heard you're an acupuncturist, uh, what is it and what can it do for me? How, how do you explain what acupuncture is? What, what do you say? Right. So I always ask that person then first, it's like, well, you know, what are, what are you dealing with? Because that also affects my answer. And if people are talking about pain, you know, then my answer is different from if they come to me and say, hey, I'm trying to get pregnant. How can you help me? But the, the point being that, and acupuncture affects all the different systems in the body. So if we have a problem with the endocrine system, if somebody is not getting pregnant because their stress levels are a 10 out of 10 and they have high cortisol and low progesterone and their estrogen progesterone is out of balance, we can use acupuncture to, to get that sympathetic nervous system to calm down, to bring them back into a more parasympathetic state, lower those cortisol levels, free up some progesterone, and, and help them achieve a hormonal balance. If somebody's coming and they've had chronic pain, for example, and that pain has become centralized, we actually have fMRI research studies that show that acupuncture decreases this chronic pain pattern in the regions of the brain that are associated with chronic pain. So we have a lot of great technology now, you know, modern scientific research that's showing that acupuncture has a very real effect on our brain chemistry and on what regions of the brain are activated and modulating the connectivity between left and right hemispheres and some of these other functional connectivity patterns. Um, it's really fascinating to to see all of this research that's just come out in the last you know five five years even. Well, this is great, Amy. I got to tell you, for somebody that doesn't know that much about acupuncture, and you hear people talking about meridians and all these things, I'm kind of like, hey, what is that? But you know, we have the same thing in the chiropractic profession: people talking about innate and all these aspects, which are kind of like soft constructs. But I love hearing that there's evidence supporting uh, some of the aspects that you're talking about. Uh, with the new technology that we have. So that's that's great. I mean, I, I love to hear an explanation like that. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah, I think a lot of people get confused about Chinese medicine because we use terms like liver chi stagnation and spleen chi deficiency. 
And I really, in my practice, avoid, uh, I mean, obviously, I come up with my Chinese medicine diagnosis, and I document that in my charts. But when I'm talking to patients, when I'm talking to other people, I'm using a lot of the, you know, functional medicine terminology that we can all understand in, in the sense of, you know, the gut-brain axis. There's so much information now about the gut-brain axis. And in Chinese medicine, there has always been a component of if your digestive system is not working, it's going to affect your ability to think and, and perform cognitively. And so in Chinese medicine, we've always had this understanding that there's a gut-brain connection. And, and yet, because we use these Chinese medicine diagnoses in terms that sound strange and foreign, um, people kind of look at us sideways. And so I've really tried to get away from explaining things in, in terminology that just ends up confusing people more. Mm-hmm. Well, well, listen, this is great. So let's uh, let's go back into neuro a little bit, right? Because I learned some about acupuncture. Uh, we learned about your background, your education, you know, an athlete, and uh, you got knocked out. There's more, more concussions. Uh, but now you're even going as far as in regards to finishing up your doctor. You're even doing research. Well, hold on. Is there anything else that we need to know about what happened with you and your journey with the concussions? Like, what did the doctors do for you before... Well, you know, I guess here's the question. Are you are you better now? I mean, uh, where are you on this journey? What, what has happened? Yeah, um, I, I'm so much better. And I have a, such a deeper awareness of all the different aspects that, that got me to where I am right now. When, you know, when I really hit rock bottom, it was when I had had all these concussions. And then on top of that, I injured my clavicle. I, I tore my sternoclavicular joint. I ripped my scalenes off my clavicle, and I had a brachial plexus stretch injury. So I had massive amounts of, of pain in my collarbone and in my neck, and it was referring into my arm. And I had this for about a year, year and a half. And so on top of having all these concussions, I had this chronic pain. I felt like I was walking around with a broken collarbone. And when it comes to brachial plexus nerve pain, it's so tricky because sometimes heat would help. Sometimes heat would make it worse. Sometimes ice would help. Sometimes ice would make it worse. Um, acupuncture wasn't really touching it. And I was doing physical therapy. And after a lot of PT, the, the PT kind of just gave up on me. And he's like, you know, you're not really getting better. Don't know really what to know what to do at this point. And so he's like, why don't you go see a neurologist? And uh, so I saw this neurologist and he didn't even touch me, didn't even do a physical exam, asked me a couple of questions and then uh, handed me a sample bottle of Lyrica. And he acted like he was doing me a favor as a fellow healthcare provider, like, hey, let me just give you a sample of my, my drugs here. And so I was so desperate at this point that I took the Lyrica. And suddenly I started having suicidal thoughts. And I, at the time, I didn't even, I mean, again, when you have massive brain fog, you just, you just miss stuff. You, you know, you're not even aware of what's going on in your own, in your own head. And so I got really freaked out. I'm like, I, I have a successful practice. I have, I own my own house. I own commercial real estate. I have the best family in the world. I'm living in the coolest town on the planet. And I'm like, why am I having suicidal thoughts? I mean, it, it like came out of left field and I'm sitting at the rapid oil change one day, getting my, my car uh, worked on, and a commercial comes on for Lyrica. And at the very end of the commercial, it has the whole long list of side effects, and the last one was suicidal thoughts. And the light bulb went off in my head, and I was like, oh my god, it's the, it's the Lyrica. And um, I, at that point, I just, 
I recognized just how broken our system was. And so that was kind of my rock bottom where I realized that my brain really needed help and that West, you know, conventional medicine, drugs and surgery was not the answer. And so I really dove down into every single possible natural healing remedy I could do. And I mean, I, I have done so many different things and, and they've gotten me really far. I, I did mud packing, for example, um, which is almost like using it's using clay and mud, which has magnetic properties and putting literally putting mud and clay on the top of my head cured my insomnia. Hmm. So I've tried, you know, a lot of different things and I've had a lot of different things work and I've had a lot of things not work. But through uh, through nutrition and through herbs, I really minimized a lot of the inflammation in my brain and dealt with all the brain fog but there's there's not an herb and there's not an acupuncture point that can fix a broken VOR for example and so I started to really realize the limitations of nutrition um, once I started learning functional neurology and so I, I really feel like I I have a good handle on you know where nutrition and where herbal medicine can excel and mm -hmm. it when comes to helping somebody with a concussion or a traumatic brain injury, but also where their limitations are and where you need to step in with all of these really great hands-on therapies that we learn through the Carrick Institute. Wow, well, this is great. Hey, so I know you're actually also doing research as well because you have to complete that for part of your schooling. Can you can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing there? Yeah. Um, so ultimately, what I what I moved to Texas to do. I mean, at this point, you know, I, when I made this change, just go back to school and, and study concussion recovery and, and where Chinese medicine fits into that. I literally sold my house, sold my practice, packed up and moved to go back to school and started to do research looking at how acupuncture modulates cerebral blood flow in people following a concussion. And so anytime you're doing research that hasn't been done before and you're applying for a grant, you've got to have some kind of preliminary data and, mm -hmm. and you need to know, show that what you're doing is safe. There's been a lot of research on acupuncture and cerebral blood flow modulation in stroke patients, but not, not in concussion and traumatic brain injury populations. So for my doctorate program, I did a small pilot study that was really a feasibility study to show the proof of concept and, and safety. And the problem with a lot of concussion research is that they don't have baseline data on the patient prior to the concussion. So it becomes hard to prove or tease out whether their cognitive symptoms were a direct result of the concussion or possibly pre-existing, right? Mm -hmm. And so really a good study design is where you have that baseline data on your patients. And so um, ultimately, the study that I want to do is to enroll MMA fighters and other athletes that have a high likelihood of sustaining a concussion over the course of a year or two in playing their sport and basically run them through baseline testing um, that's magnetic resonance and geography to look at cerebral blood flow, uh, VNG, CAPS, and then impact testing. And then once they have the concussion, run them through all that again, do a series of acupuncture treatments, and then the follow-up testing. Now, as a doctorate student, I didn't have time to wait around for people to get a concussion, and I didn't have money to do any kind of large-scale study with all that expensive imaging and equipment. So we enrolled MMA fighters and did baseline testing with transcranial Doppler ultrasound. Mm -hmm. 
and then had them spar three three-minute rounds, um, similar to what you would see in an amateur MMA fight, or even you know what happens during a, a full contact sparring practice. And then we did follow-up testing, uh, and then acupuncture, and then post-treatment testing. So they also filled out a, a post-concussion symptom survey before and after the, the treatment. All right, so far so good. So, so what did you find? Well, all of the fighters came up within normal reference ranges for cerebral blood flow velocity. So mm-hmm. as far as the transcranial Doppler ultrasound was concerned, there were no abnormalities in their cerebral blood flow from the sparring, for at least from that perspective. And so there was no real significant differences in the blood flow from post-fight to post-treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, so we weren't really able to show an effect. And, and frankly, our, our sample size was so small that we didn't have the power and the statistics to show anything significant. Um, when doc, Dr. Carrick helped me with all of my st- stats and he just said, you know, in order to achieve a significant amount, uh, we would really need to have probably 240 people enrolled in our study. And we had, you know, 20. <laughs> yeah. And that, that would get pricey. That would get really pricey. Yeah. Um, the, the fighters did report, however, decreased symptoms following acupuncture. So they did say that things like headache, dizziness, and brain fog improved after the treatments. But again, um, we just didn't have enough of a large sample size to really show a statistical significant effect. Well, at least at least you're you're getting something out there, and, and maybe a larger study will be performed based off what you found. So that's that's still exciting. Yeah, and really, I mean, when you go to school to learn how to do research, you're you're learning how to do research, and so the process of this opened my eyes to um, a just how many hoops you have to jump through as far as institutional review boards and protocols and paperwork and consent forms. So it was a huge learning curve for me, and it's given me a lot of great ideas on how to do it bigger and better next time. So, right. hey, so. I love hearing about your background, how you came to all this through your own experience, but I still haven't heard how you arrived to functional neurology. I know at one point you were said you were searching for many, you know, natural alternatives to help alleviate your symptoms. When yeah. did you discover functional neurology? During my doctor program, we had a clinical theater that was taught by a chiropractor that had taken functional neurology courses through the Carrick Institute. And I was immediately hooked. As soon as he started doing his neurological exams and talking about what he was doing, I was just completely enthralled. And so I just said to myself, I, I want to learn all of this. And as soon as I found out about the Carrick Institute and the level of knowledge that was being taught there, I I was hooked. So nice. So you got lucky. You got you got a you got a shown functionality at your school, which is which is great. I mean, some people go through their whole education, kind of find it 15, 20 years later, and they go, oh, where was this, <laughs> you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Well, and um, for my doctorate program, we had to do 250 hours of externships. And mm. so I spent, you know, the last year hanging out with functional neurologists as part of my externship hours. And um, they've been incredibly generous in, in sharing their knowledge and clinical applications. And I have learned so much through through doing these externships. Um, I have actually a really funny story. I was one of my unrelated externships was at um, a place called True North, which is a, a clinically supervised fasting clinic and a, a vegan retreat center. Mm-hmm. And when I got there, um, my job was basically to just walk around and take people's vital signs all day long and observe them while they were fasting to make sure that they were doing okay. 
And, and it was the most incredibly boring thing ever. And I was like, there's no way I can just walk around and take people's vital signs for two weeks. I'm like, I'm not, this, <laughs> I shut my practice down for this, like no way. And so I called up Dr. Zelinsky and I said, you know, Hey, Dr. Z, is there any chance I can come hang out with you for a week in your office? Because I had flown out to the West coast to do this and right, right. Up in Portland. Yeah. So I call him up. I'm like, Hey man, I go, can you, can you save me here? I need to get out of this vegan fasting camp. It sounds very exciting there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And he said, um, sure. On one condition. I said, what's that? And he goes, you have to come to sparring with me on Tuesday night. Oh God. <laughs> and I was like, all right, I'll do that on one condition. He's like, what's that? I go, I get a VNG the next morning. <laughs> you know, you are, you're sharp. That's good. Hold on. I got So what happened? I got to hear this. For those who know, for those who know Dr. Zelensky, they, they they would know that he's he's not joking when he would say something like this. So so what happened? Exactly. Okay. Well, so I showed up to sparring on Tuesday night, and uh, he kicked my butt. <laughs> um, no, it was actually it was really fun, and I was really impressed with his his level of skill and footwork. I mean, that guy that guy knows how to move and dodge, and he's he knows his stuff. I was impressed. Yeah, we actually you know we have got a lot of doctors who are very skilled. And many things, but I'm always fascinated by the ones that love uh, martial arts. Like we got Dr. Ellis, and actually, actually even Dr. Carrick. Uh, I've seen him move, and uh, I would, uh, I'd feel safe with him around. You know, he's, he's still got it, which is kind of, it's kind of crazy. Not that many people know that about him. <laughs> awesome, cool. yeah. Um, compared to Dr. Z, I kind of felt like a bull in a china shop. Um, He's <laughs> he has a lot more finesse than I do. Well, Amy, that's what happens as as we age. We learn to be efficient as opposed to uh, maybe as as aggressive. I so, know. Yeah. Well, when I did my twenty three and me, it said I was ninety six percent Northeastern European. So I just interpreted that as I'm I'm ninety six percent Viking. I, I can't help it. <laughs> so all right. So so you you're studying functional neurology. We know you're you're one of our clinical scholars for the care Institute. We love having you on here. And in uh, learning and, and learning with all of us, how are you incorporating clinical neuroscience into your acupuncture practice? Because I don't know that many people that are even doing that at all. And if they are to do it well, uh, who knows? So sure. how are you it's, doing this? Well, first of all, it's been really exciting. Um, and I'll, I'll dive into that more. So, I mean, right now I'm doing a lot of before and after neurological exams with my neuro patients. And while that may sound like a no brainer to all of you, the, the reality is that acupuncture education is severely lacking in physical examination skills, both orthopedic and neurologic. And so many acupuncturists don't have any formal training in how to do, you know, uh, physical examinations and they end up relying on subjective data from patients and then they, they look at their tongue and they feel their pulse and they come up with the Chinese medicine diagnosis and, and go right into the treatment. But what I realized pretty quickly when I started working with people with concussions is that that doesn't fly. I mean, you, you miss so much and you don't have any biomarkers to know whether you're helping somebody or not. And so when it comes to treating someone with neurological disorders, that's just not good enough. And, and I think a lot of things can go wrong. You know, you might exceed someone's metabolic threshold and actually make them worse if you don't know what you're doing and you're not paying attention. So I'm, you know, I'm really of the mindset that acupuncturists um, really need to adopt a better practice of performing these physical exams and collecting biomarkers by which to, to measure whether their treatments are having a beneficial effect. Um, and, and, you know, tongue and pulse diagnosis are incredibly valuable for me in determining what acupuncture points I want to use and then also what herbal formulas I want to use. 
but they don't convey to other healthcare providers or to the patient anything that's concrete and they don't really provide enough information regarding someone's neurological state either. So, so I've really adopted all of the examination techniques that are taught through the Carrick Institute, and that's helped me tremendously to even be able to tell whether my acupuncture treatments are um, doing anything. <laughs> awesome. So now, so what I'm envisioning is your, your patient's coming in, you're doing your physical and neuro exam in addition to your to the. Uh, all their assessments that you learned during acupuncture school, and then doing your treatment, and then doing reevaluations for reassessments again with uh, more neural physical exam and the other ones, right? So you're just you're really making a hybrid model practice type, is uh, what I'm hearing, right? Yeah, yeah, and I can I can give you like you know like a good example of, of yeah, how I'm combining yeah, all this example together. Would be good. Okay, so uh, I had a patient who was in her 20s, and she she had been diagnosed with Crohn's disease um, at a pretty young age, and then she also has Lyme's disease. Mm. And when I first examined her, I saw a lot of signs of dysautonomia. She, I mean, her heart rate was 100 beats per minute. Her blood pressure was extremely low. Her temperature fluctuates all over the place. She's hot. She's cold. She spikes fevers. Um, she had moderate to severe hippus bilaterally, and her main complaint was daily nausea and abdominal pain. And she told me that sometimes she gets tremors, but in the six to seven times that she had come in to see me, I had never seen them. So one day she called me in a panic and had a final exam in two hours and <laughs> said that her tremors had started up again and she was having vertigo and nausea. And I happened to get into the office early that day. So I, I just said, hey, can you come in like immediately? And she said, I'm on my way. And so I'm expecting her to walk in with, you know, like a mild tremor in her, in her hand, but instead she walks into my office and she has severe myoclonic jerks in her entire right arm. Wow. There was absolutely no way that she would have been able to hold a pencil, much less take a final exam. And I could see that she was literally on the verge of tears. She was just so upset. And now... For somebody who's that wound up and also really sensitive to needles, you know, would acupuncture be the best immediate approach to addressing this? And I really didn't think it was. And so I only had 30 minutes with her and I didn't necessarily have time to hunt around for the magic acupuncture point that might stop the myoclonus, right? Mm -hmm. So I used my, my functional neurology training and, uh, you know, I was like, okay, we have a movement disorder to treat. We've got a vestibular issue. But at the root of all that is this dysautonomia. So, I, yeah, and I knew she had been studying the entire day before. So I'm like, all right, she's got a lot of wind up here. So I quickly checked her pursuits. I checked her saccades and her hippus and her pursuits were okay. The saccades were slow, but they typically are. And her hippus was mild to moderate. So it hadn't gotten worse from what I've seen previously. Mm -hmm. So I, I just wanted to make sure, I'm like, are there any red flags here that I need to be concerned about? And, um, so I turned off all the lights in the room. I had her lay on the table. And I just grabbed her left arm and her left leg, and very slowly I did these in-phase multiplaners and just started to unwind her and get her brain to take like a nice deep cleansing breath, right? <laughs> and then I grabbed my halard and, and did hypoglossal stim because I wanted to just go straight to the brain stem. Mm -hmm. And in my second set of stim, the myoclonus stopped entirely. And so... Mm -hmm. At that point, I was like, okay, now we can assess the vestibular system. So I had her stand up, I assessed her canals, I identified the posterior left as, as the problem, and then we did our vestibular roll, and the vertigo went away, but she said she still felt a little nauseous and she had a knot in her stomach. So at that point, I felt comfortable putting on my Chinese medicine hat and doing a pulse, di pulse diagnosis. 
I identified which of the eight extraordinary vessels were involved and needled distal points on the hands and feet and then put in a couple of auricular points to stimulate the vagus nerve. After 15 minutes, the nausea went away, the knot in her abdomen went away, and she was able to go take her test and pass her class. So, no, that's beautiful. I think, I think my favorite part of that story is when you say, then you put on your, your oriental medicine hat. I mean, one of the things we talk about at the Carrick Institute is we, we try to make it so you have an incredible amount of tools available to you. And what we typically say is that the art, that's the science, the art is where you get to decide to use which tool. So if you have a thousand tools or a million tools that we'll give you over the, the curriculums that we teach, the art is knowing which one to use when. And I think your story is beautiful because it illustrates that to a T. You go, all right, hey, I, I'm going to use this tool for this. And when I come to this section, you go, I, I, you know what, I have, I want to make a different choice about which tools I'm going to use. And it's just beautiful. It's, I love that story. Thank you. Yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, I'm glad that I've discovered functional neurology work now because I, I have 11 years of clinical experience behind me. And so I feel like I'm at a point where this is not so overwhelming to me because I have a lot of tools in my toolkit and I can say, okay, I'm going to use, I'm going to use the acupuncture tool, but if that tool doesn't work, I'm, then I'm going to use this other tool. Um, you know, now it's time to do the brain exercises because the acupuncture didn't work. So it is really, um, it is nice to be able to to know how to switch back and forth between the different tools. And if one tool doesn't work, you, you use another tool. Um, I think that if I had tried to jump into the, the functional neurology training, you know, immediately after school, I, I would have gotten really lost. You know, I would have been really uh, overwhelmed, I think. So, yeah, you, you have to be ready for it. It is it, learning clinical neuroscience is not the. <laughs> it's, it's not a not, cakewalk. <laughs> yeah, no, you really have to apply yourself 110% to, to take on yeah. this work, but it's, but it's very satisfying when you do. Hey, I know I've taken up a lot of your time, but do you have any other examples of, of how you're incorporating the things that you're doing? Yeah, I have. Yeah, you know, I have another interesting case. It's actually a dementia case. Uh, so I have this this lovely woman. She's in her sixties, and um, I, I found that when I would do acupuncture first to help improve her cerebral blood flow, the the neuro montage of the assisted gaze holding and the pursuits and saccades and multiplanars were were much easier for her to do. And so rather than immediately diving into all those brain exercises, I would do the acupuncture first. And I also think that her case. Is a great example of how important it is to collect all the biomarkers from the physical exam to be able to know whether the acupuncture treatments are really doing anything. Because when she initially came in, she had no arm swing bilaterally. Uh, I put her at a grade two masked facies. I mean, she almost had like a Parkinsonian type appearance. Mm-hmm. Um, she had a grade two finger tap on the left and a grade four on the right. Mm-hmm. And she had some really interesting paradoxical reflex responses. I would hit her right patella and the whole left side of her body would jump. Um, she couldn't maintain vertical pursuits and she had square wave jerks horizontally. She couldn't even perform a saccade. Um, and she couldn't spell word world forwards, much less backwards. So there was, there was a lot going on in, in my exam with her. And now that I've seen her for about two months, um, she has great arm swing on the left. She's got a faster gait. She has perfect plus two patella reflexes. Her vertical pursuits are so much better. She now has pretty fast saccades, um, a grade zero finger tap on the left and a grade two on the right. And, and she, she laughs and she smiles and she just seems even more relaxed and happy. And she actually just ran a half marathon last weekend. So... 
you know, the, my point being though, is if I hadn't performed that physical exam, I would have had no objective data to really know whether my treatments were doing anything. And, you know, I, that's why I'm just so appreciative of the education that I've gotten through the Carrick Institute, because this not, this not being taught in the acupuncture schools at the master's or the doctorate level. Well, you know, I'm, I'm going to ask you a, uh, a little bit of a loaded question. So what would you like to see in the future of the acupuncture profession? I mean, I see what you're doing. And to me, I mean, if somebody said, hey, you know, how do you describe Dr. Amy Mall? I'd say, well, she's the, mo- you know, she's the modern acupuncturist. Uh, what you're doing seems like it should be the standard to me because it sounds so appropriate. It sounds like, uh, incredible and I applaud you for it. What do you see in the future for the acupuncture profession or what would you like to see? Well, I I really do want us to raise our standards. I I think we need to raise our standards of education. And, you know, just like when I specialized in fertility, I had to go out and seek out a lot of additional training in functional medicine and functional endocrinology and understand what reproductive endocrinologists were doing and be able to speak their language. And I think that the acupuncturists that, that want to specialize in sports medicine and concussion recovery and, you know, or treating neurological disorders like Parkinson's or strokes, you know, I think that we really need to go out and get more education. And the Carrick Institute is, I think, really the best place to get it. <laughs> well, we, we, we appreciate we appreciate you believe in that. So, so thank you. Um, Amy, this is great to have you on the show. So, so thank you very much. Uh, and I really love the approach you're taking to to your patients, and I applaud you for what you know. And now, if people say, you know, who's Amy? I'm going to say, hey, she's a modern acupuncturist. That you need to go see her. So this is incredible. Um, if people want to learn more about you, Amy, where can they find you? Uh, well, right now my clinic is in Dallas, Texas. It's called Healing Response Acupuncture and Integrative Medicine. And my uh, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram are uh, all at Healing Response. Okay, awesome. Um, yeah, no, I think this is great. I, you know, Amy, I'd love to have you on again, only because I want to hear more about these fMRI studies and points in different parts of the brain that they activate. I think that's uh, very exciting. Um, and also, yeah, would you would you come on again and kind of let us know a little bit more about that? Yeah, I would love to talk more about what some of this, you know, modern science is is saying about acupuncture because it's very fascinating. Beautiful. And and Amy, I, I did want to say that you know we. Nobody knows. We are working on something special for the acupuncture community. So you guys will be hearing and seeing Amy's face in the future as we put this together for that uh, community. They have approached us and uh, I think it's great to see all these professions taking on uh, more clinical neuroscience training um, because we happen to know that the brain is a governing system of the body. So it makes a lot of sense that if you're working with patients with uh, bodies and brains, you, you might as well know what you're working with. Yeah. So so you're going to be hearing from Amy again. Amy, we're going to have you back on. Uh, you guys can hit her up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and connect with her there. And uh, uh, Amy, thank you very much for being on the show, and we shall catch you next time. Thank you. I'll see you in Orlando in February. You got it. All right. If you enjoyed this podcast or would like to make any suggestions for any future podcast topics, please visit the Contact Us page on carrickinstitute.com.